This is Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucaran, giving you eternal answers to challenging questions and providing reasons for faith in Christ. Is it possible to be spiritually abused? You bet it is. Are you a member or have you ever been a member of an abusive church? And what are the characteristics of abusive church? What's the definition of that? Kevin Harris with Pat Zucaran. I think this is one of the more important radio programs we've done, Pat, and um, your article on this that you wrote several years ago that's available at evidenceandanswers.org has really touched multitudes of people across the country, and I want to encourage people to to go to evidenceandanswers.org and get the material from Pat on abusive churches, and we're going to redefine that. We've got an excerpt from a pastor who is very abusive from the pulpit that uh, we captured on tape. We're going to be playing that here in just a moment. So you're not going to want to miss a moment of the show. Uh, Pat, again, let's reset the definition. Uh, what is an abusive church, and how are these different from a traditional cult? Because cults tend to be abusive, but what about abusive churches that are otherwise orthodox? Right. The traditional cult, Mormon, Jehovah Witness, uh, Mooney, uh, we know they are cults because of their doctrine. They deny the basic, essential biblical truth. For example, the deity of Christ, the doctrine of the Trinity, the salvation by grace, um, the authority of the Bible alone. They mm-hmm. deny these essential doctrines. However, when it comes to these abusive churches, or they're also called Bible-based cults, they're outwardly orthodox in their doctrine. They'll hold to the Trinity and they'll preach salvation by grace and other orthodox doctrines like that. But it's their methodology that makes them cultic. And the manipulation that is used, the guilt, the peer pressure, the tactics that are used to manipulate members, uh, the spiritual abuse that is encountered, that's what makes them an abusive church. So outwardly, they look orthodox. It's their methodology that makes them cultic. You've studied many of these. Uh, They tend to be uh, overly authoritarian, outside of biblical bounds. Uh, They use manipulation on their members. They promote a and often lead to a legalistic lifestyle that is harsh. Uh, Denouncing of other churches, and they cling to be often the the remnant of God, the one true church and the one that is really sold out. That leads to often a persecution complex, which makes them immune from criticism because any criticism can be viewed as um, persecution and actually affirming that, see, we really are the ones of God. Now, let's look at two more characteristics of an abusive church that you've outlined, Pat, and they are uh, a tendency to target young adults and difficulty in leaving. Now, a tendency to target young adults. Talk about that. Right. They generally tend to target young adults from 16 to about 25 years old. This is when they're vulnerable. Often they're on their own looking for some cause to give their life to. They're idealistic, often immature, looking for a father figure, looking for some sort of leadership in their life that can guide them to living a life that really counts for something. And so many of these abusive churches will give them that kind of discipline, that kind of structure, that kind of accountability and leadership. And initially it appears that the cause, you know, Jesus Christ and the spreading of the kingdom of God, what, what more worthy cause is there? you know, to give your life for. And so often, you will find these groups targeting these 
young adults about 18, a lot 25 of years old. 18, 25. There's, there's a lot of zeal. There's a lot of energy. And I call it uh, testosterone theology, <laughs> quite often among guys, mm-hmm. because you find a lot of young men who are really on fire, but uh, you got to make sure you're on fire for the right thing. Right. And often they look at maybe a church they came from that was kind of dead. It's yeah. not growing. And here we got a group that are out there on the streets and they're preaching and they're discipling and they're living, it appears to be radically for Jesus. And that's very attractive for young men and women looking for a cause to really give their life to. Oh, Pat, I mean, think of the parents right now and grandparents who are listening right now and even the the, the student who's on his way to college. Uh, this, or her way to college, this is uh, very necessary to send your your kiddo to college equipped not to fall into a group like this because uh, a Christian young person is ready to go and be a witness for Christ on the campus. You run into a zealous group like this and it can start, uh, it can cause spiritual damage to that uh, person if they don't get uh, the right group. Right. And on a lot of the big state universities around the country, the biggest group was the group associated with the Boston Movement or the International Church of Christ filled with just, you know, thousands of young people. Uh, and, you know, that's sad to see, but, you know, college students are, are some of the most vulnerable to these groups. And so it's something that Christians and parents really need to be aware of, that these groups proliferate. They thrive on these university campuses. Now, the final characteristic uh, is difficulty in leaving this group. Even if, I can tell you horror stories, and I know you've heard them too, Pat. Even if you realize that this group is out of bounds biblically, it's difficult to leave. Why? Right. Members in such churches, they're afraid to leave because of the intimidation, the pressure, and often the threats of divine judgment. And also, remember, you've been isolated from other people who are not part of this organization. So your whole world, literally your personality, revolves around this organization. So leaving this group, not only is there the threat of divine judgment, but you know, you've got to factor in the fact that you're leaving everything you know and your entire support group that have been your friends and your emotional support, you're leaving all that behind and you're uh, going out into society and, and there's really no one. You know, these people have isolated themselves some for many years, and, and there is no one out there. You're so dependent upon this group for your identity, and suddenly you leave, and there is no one there. Uh, the, this, these kinds of groups practice a thing called shunning, where if you leave the group, the members of the church or organization are told not to talk to you. You know, often you're labeled as the bad guy. You've got a sin problem or or. You weren't committed to Christ. You're not a true disciple, and they're told not to associate with you. And so it's a very traumatic thing to leave. Um, this one lady here, uh, a former member of a abusive group at a university campus, she was told, if you leave without the leadership's approval, condemnation and guilt are heaped upon you. She says, my pastor told me that he thought it was satanic for me to leave and wondered if I could continue my salvation experience. Wow. So you see that kind of guilt that's placed upon you, the manipulation that has taken place, and 
your entire identity is in that group, suddenly trying to leave that really leaves a huge vacuum. It's a scary, scary it is. process. And it's got some of the characteristics of literal addiction. Drug addiction, alcohol addiction, sex addiction. Um, it's got some of those characteristics in that I know a couple who I've been in contact with who left an abusive church uh, and are now members of a healthy church. And they actually teach against this. They teach what you're teaching here. But did you know that sometimes at moments of weakness, they literally want to pack their bags and go back to that church? And they struggle against it. And by the grace of God, they stay out of it. Now, what kind of an emotional uh, addiction, a pull, uh, does that still play on them even though they realize it's wrong? Isn't that insidious? Yeah, and uh, that's a common thing. That's not uncommon. A lot of people who leave the church, deep down, they're, they're glad they left. They know they made the right decision, but the friendships are so close. Um, there was a bonding that was there, and there's still a concern for the people who are still in that group that would attract people to possibly go back. There's also some idealistic kind of thinking that perhaps if I stay in touch with these people, if I stay involved, the church will change. And, you know, sadly to say, uh, to change these kinds of churches is very, very, very difficult. I haven't really seen any change. So, hmm. you know, those are some things that drive them back. They, they really want to um, be vindicated. Yeah. Maybe the things that they have been accused of, they want to set things right. They've got tremendous bonds and friendships there. Um, so it's a common thing to want to go back. Yeah, even if you realize it, it was unhealthy. This is accountability and proper authority gone berserk. Right. That's what it seems to be. Right. You know, and, and in our next segment, we're going to talk about discerning between healthy and abusive leadership. But here's something what we're talking about. If we've got time, we, maybe we'll play a clip from this pastor from Victory Outreach out there in California, kind of describing what we're talking about when we talk about abusive leadership. We're going to do that. We have that clip coming up in just a moment. And boy, I almost hesitate to play this because I don't want people to think that uh, we're actually running a program that would have a guy <laughs> like this. But you're going to hear how abusive this guy is from the pulpit and how demeaning he is and how the audience is actually cheering him on. Now, I want to invite you to go to evidenceandanswers.org, Pat's article on churches that abuse, and it's there. And uh, that's free, isn't it, Pat? They could just read it there. And you also have a series on this as well. Right. I describe the characteristics of abusive churches and also uh, recovering from spiritual abuse, some practical steps. If you've experienced spiritual abuse or coming out of an abusive church, it's a traumatic thing. It's a very difficult, difficult situation. And it's a painful thing, and and you need the body of Christ there to help you out. And and this article gives you some practical steps how to overcome spiritual abuse. A church that uh, is a pretty good example, Pat, of how uh, a a pastor can be very abusive from the, the pulpit and its characteristics of these churches that engage in manipulation, authoritarian harshness, legalistic lifestyle, a persecution complex, and so forth. So how do we distinguish between a healthy and an authoritarian type of leadership? Well, there's several questions uh, you need to ask yourself if you are questioning whether you're in an unhealthy situation or not. You know, first, does the leadership invite dialogue, advice, evaluation, and questions from those outside its immediate circle? 
you know, authoritarian pastors are threatened by any diverse opinions, whether inside or outside the group. Uh, group members are discouraged from asking the hard questions. So the rule is, whether spoken or not, don't ask questions, don't make waves. A healthy pastor welcomes tough questions, whereas in unhealthy, abusive kind of situations, disagreement with the pastor is considered disloyalty and is virtually equal to disobedience to God. And the tough thing, Kevin, is that it's couched in all the spiritual language used to disguise the manipulation that mm. is going on. Mm -hmm. And those who question are, are labeled rebellious, insubordinate, disruptive to the harmony of the body, and attempts are made to pressure them and shut them down. So the only way to succeed is to go along with the agenda, support the leaders, and scorn those who would disagree. You know, second, is there a system of accountability, or does the pastor keep full control? Authoritarian pastors do not desire a system of accountability. I mean, they're God's man. You know, God has called them to this position. Who are you to point out any flaws in their styles of leadership or question where they're headed? They may have a board of elders or deacons, but it consists of yes men whom he ultimately picks. And I've been involved in situations where when you look at the bylaws of the church, everything comes down to the pastor you know, making all the decisions, and he selects who's in the leadership of the church. And so really, you have to see if there's any accountability there. In these churches, ultimately, there isn't. Pat, you captured on tape uh, an excerpt that we're going to listen to here from a, a pastor who is uh, very manipulative and abusive from the pulpit. Why don't you set this up and we'll play it. Yeah, this is from Victory Outreach out there in California. Um, this is from a particular group out there. Not all groups out there named Victory Outreach are bad. This is just one particular one, and he is addressing his congregation here about really the credit for your spiritual success and growth is really the church and particularly the lead of the church, and that's something you should not forget, that you are indebted to the leader of the church, not to God, but to the leader of the church mm -hmm. and the church itself. Let's go to this clip then. The same thing with pastors. Your pastor works with you, gives you the vision. He entrusts us with you with the vision. And even though you're all messed up and really don't got it together, he believes in you and he launches you out. And then once you're out there and you got your little church, your little disciples, your little building, your little wife, your little vision. All of a sudden you forget who sent you there in the first place. Then all of a sudden you see your pastor and you go, how you doing, brother? Where before he's your pastor and all of a sudden you put yourself on that level. All of a sudden you say, well, I, I got my inheritance now. Listen to me, buddy. Listen to me, knucklehead. You forgot who gave you that vision in the first place. You forgot who prayed for you. You forgot who told you about Jesus. You forgot who gave their lives for you. Okay, there's that clip. And um, this pastor, uh, well, comment on this, uh, Pat. He's calling them knuckleheads, your little wife. You're just very demeaning. Right. And if you would... Um if you noticed in there, he said, 
you know, before he was your pastor. Now when you see him, you call him brother, mm-hmm. you know. So there's a sense that in these spiritual uh, unhealthy organizations, titles are used to prop up someone's prominence to, and, and there's a definite hierarchy that's built there. So someone is called pastor or doctor or reverend, which is not a bad thing. But in situations like this, the leader demands that title, even from his own family members, that places him on a pedestal above everyone else. And how dare you make yourself equal to that person there. And I've been in situations, uh, you know, I'm, I'm where I was ordained, you know, in the ministry, but because I was the associate, I didn't have the title of pastor. I was a worker in the church. Right. The only person who had the title was the senior pastor. You know, and one of the things he made sure of that his pay was definitely way above everybody else on the associate level. And if you ever introduced him, it was, you always introduced him as doctor or reverend or pastor, but to the associates, you know, you call them their first name or he would introduce them as a worker in the church. Mm-hmm. Putting himself on a pedestal you know, a hierarchy there above other members of the body of Christ, which is very unbiblical. You know, in Christ, we're all one. And there is no spiritual hierarchy there. Uh, Christ spoke out about that. And often in these kinds of abusive churches, the title or the position is continually uh, emphasized and uh, the title gives you that kind of authority. And we are all under the authority of the truth of God's word. You see that in the Bible. You know, Paul commended the Bereans in the book of Acts. Why? Because he said, you didn't just take my word for it. You studied the scriptures. So Paul even put himself under the authority of the scripture, even though he's an apostle. He commended these guys because he said, you say the truth that we are all under. And also you see in Galatians chapter one, you know, Peter the leader of the apostles, the leader of the New Testament church, Paul rebukes Peter and corrects him for his sinful conduct there, hmm. showing that even as pastors or, or leaders, we are under the authority of Scripture. And should a pastor or a spiritual leader uh, step out of the bounds of Scripture or act contrary to what the Bible teaches, you know, we as brothers and sisters in Christ have the right uh, with the Word of God to confront that issue. Right. Pat, I want to get to what to do if you find yourself in this situation. Is it wise to confront the leader? What should you do and so forth? But the, what is the, the Scripture in First Peter that you often refer to that gives a more proper view uh, of what authority is and what leadership is? Yeah, that's First Peter 5, 3. Kevin, you got it there? Yeah, I do. Yeah. It's, um, well, verse 2 says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So that keeps you from lording it over the flock that you are given charge of. The good leaders who follow Christ's example are motivated by love, love for God. And Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, you must be what? The servant. And Christ demonstrated that by washing the disciples' feet. You know, and, but you don't find this kind of attitude in these authoritarian churches. In fact, 
uh, I've been involved in situations. I was uh, sitting in a, in a meeting and the pastor was upset because he had to empty the trash on Sunday. And he felt that was absolutely wrong to make him. He's the senior pastor to have to go out there and empty the trash. You know, and you could see, you know, the anger there in him. And I spoke up and perhaps it wasn't the wisest thing to say, you know, but I, I said, well, if you want on, on Sundays, I will empty the trash. If Christ could wash the disciples' feet, I can empty the trash. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, he he got really upset. Yeah, uh, but you see, you see that the very different kind of leadership. Christ had a servant leadership driven by love. False leaders, abusive leaders, are driven for the need to have that authority exercised over the lives of their believers. That's what gives them that kind of rush and and fulfillment. It as it seems. Pat, what what should you do? You find yourself in this situation. Wise to confront the leader. You really need to bathe it in prayer. And when you feel led by the Spirit and, and, and you're ready to confront in love, it's probably a good idea to sit down uh, with the leader and explain what you see as maybe uh, sin or uh, going in a wrong direction here. And if he takes that advice, great. Chances are he won't. And you may be labeled as the troublemaker. Well, you can walk away knowing you were obedient to God. You confronted a brother in sin. Uh, now it's time just to let God work with him. But in those situations, uh, you know, when their hearts are so close, it, it's very difficult to get through to them. Many listening right now may be involved in a group like this that is otherwise orthodox, holds to the essentials of the Christian faith, but their tactics for discipleship and um, shepherding are out of bounds biblically and, in fact, manipulative and abusive. You need to get out of that group, and it may not be easy for you to do it. I, I, I encourage you to prayerfully go to evidenceandanswers.org and read Pat's free article on this and get some clarity, get some biblical clarity on this, as well get to this entire series on CD available from evidenceandanswers.org. First is abusive churches have a control-oriented or a very authoritarian style of leadership. Second, the leaders of such churches often use manipulation to gain complete submission from their members. Third, there's a rigid, legalistic lifestyle involving numerous requirements and often involve minute details of life, when you're going to get up, what classes, uh, if you're a college student, what classes you're going to take, where you're going to live, who you're going to date things like that. Fourth, uh, there's a denouncing of other churches. This is common because these churches see themselves as superior to all other churches. They, uh, they have either superior teaching or they have the only kind of true teaching uh, that exists. Um, so the denouncing of other churches. Sixth, uh, fifth rather, these churches have a persecution complex and view themselves as being persecuted by the world. Uh, the media and other Christian churches. Yeah, other Christian churches. Yeah, that's that's kind of the isolation there uh, in the denouncing of other churches. Right, yeah, because ahead. they have the truth or are the only ones really living radically for Jesus, and all the other churches are are dead. They're re, you know any kind of criticism they receive is persecution, persecution, hmm. uh, like the church in Acts received. Yeah. Uh, six uh, abusive churches specifically tend to target young adults 
between 18 and 25 years old. That's a good age when they're very vulnerable and idealistic. Uh, they give them a great cause to live for. And seventh, uh, the final mark uh, of abusive churches is the great difficulty members have in getting out or leaving these churches. Uh, this process is marked by social, psychological, and often emotional pain. Uh, so those are the seven characteristics of abusive churches. We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerin on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at evidenceandanswers.org. World religions, atheism, the cults, the occult, apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archaeology and history, and the end times, to name it just a few. There's a new feature on our website called iShows, where you can download each individual show for just $2.50 on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Just like you download a song on iTunes, these are iShows that you can download each individual show you want, and we've got some of the top scholars on there. Evidence and Answers is supported by you, the listener, who appreciates a program that gives good answers to good questions. Our calling is to do what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill in Athens. He presented and defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. This has been Kevin Harris. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. God bless and thanks so much for listening.